welcome to another episode of the Nanolife Science Institute podcast, offering updates of the latest news and research at the Institute. The Nanolife Science Institute at Kanazawa University was established in 2017 as part of the World Premier Institute Research Centre Initiative of the Ministry of Education, Culture, Sports, Science and Technology, MEXT. Scientists at the NanoLSI are combining their cutting-edge expertise in scanning probe microscopy to establish nano-endoscopic techniques to directly image, analyze and manipulate biomolecules for insights into mechanisms governing life phenomena such as diseases. Today we are joined by Professor Adam Foster of Aalto University in Finland. Professor Foster is an overseas-based principal investigator of the NanoLSI and a member of the Computational Science Group. Adam, welcome to the NanoLSI podcast. Thank you for joining us from Finland. To start, uh, do you think you can give us an outline of your research activities and projects? Sure. So uh, I'm, I describe myself as a computational physicist. So we generally work... Um, to try and handle problems at the atomistic scale. So we come at them from sometimes from the quantum angle, sometimes from the classical angle, depending on the problem at hand and the scale of it. Uh, and I guess our modus operandi has been to work very strongly with experimental groups. So we sort of enjoy that dynamic of them making our lives very difficult. And then we try and understand what's going on. Um, and in particular, and I guess why I ended up in the WPI is we have worked a lot with scanning probe microscopy because this is a technique that you can actually see materials at the atomic scale. So we really like that idea that, you know, we can do simulations and then actually see if what we see matches what the experimentalists see. Um, and with that sort of philosophy, then we've done many different materials from, um, from bi- biological systems um, through to exotic quantum materials so you know i think we we like those different challenges that those ideas pose and what triggered your interest in scanning probe microscopy and some of the related work that you're doing at the moment oh actually my phd did touch on this this spm um but strangely then when i started my postdoc i i moved away from it consciously that you sort of don't want to do the same thing that you did your PhD in and, and the same thing that my previous boss has worked on. And then I went into probably, I don't know, more conventional solid state, at least in terms of the, the background I came from, which was actually very Soviet. You mentioned it. So I, I worked with a lot of Soviet guys. And then it was all about uh, oxide materials and defects and electronic structure. Um, and then this drifted towards microelectronics. And I think I had three or four years going that way before I started to come back to this scanning probe approach and maybe start to think about, you know, can I build a group, can I have a career and <laughs> can I build a group that would have that, you know, that as a theme and, yeah. and it's, you know, that I think that would be the trajectory. And what was the attraction of moving from the UK to Finland? Well, the, attraction, <laughs> the attraction is the right word. So <laughs> I, I met my current wife in oh, London. Okay. Okay. When I was doing the PhD, okay, and she she left a year before I finished my PhD, and that was a very good time to decide. You know, she said, "I'm going back. 
you can see. So it motivated me to finish, and of course I wanted to go. Um, and also conveniently, there was a, a very famous um, big group led by a famous professor, which was more or less in computational physics. I mean, he was in computational physics, so it sort of fitted nicely. But I didn't have to sacrifice much. Um, and I mean, I've, let's not get into about the UK and this, that, and the other, but the weather is uh, different in both countries. And I'm not going to say one is better than the other. They all have pluses and minuses. So at least at the moment, I can look out and the tree is covered in snow and the, the sun is shining on it. So it's pretty nice. Mm, a quick question about the effect of COVID on your research. Um, what is the situation like where you are and, and uh, in Finland generally? So, I mean, I can start with me personally. I mean, the beginning was a pain, as, but still nothing compared to people who got ill. So I haven't had that experience really. Um, but once we got through the initial troubles, Finland seemed to react very quickly. They said, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that. Um, so for a month or two, we couldn't go out. Wasn't much to do apart from walk. School shut down. Once we got the rhythm, it's been relatively straightforward. And I say this easily, computational physicist, so I can do almost everything mm. from here. And so me and my group adap adapted very quickly to this, which is a major benefit. Um, and I mean, I think Finland has just, I'm not going to say the Finnish people are so much better than anybody else. I don't believe in these, you know, good people and bad people. I mean, <laughs> the government just gave rules and said, follow these. And they, they did it pretty well. Mm. And I think, I mean, there's fatigue coming now because Finland is a small country and the vaccine's taking a while. But I see that people are kind of managing. Mm. You know, I, di I didn't see any many major collapses. Uh, that's like from my life. If I now talk about the lab, then there were some major hassles. Experimental guys, this was very different experience mm. for them. And the first two or three months, they were not allowed in, and there was much fighting. I mean, you know, the people's whole research programs were destroyed from this. Mm. Um, but now they got it back. I mean, they're allowed back in the lab. There's very strict rules about masks, social distancing, time, tracking. So you have to say exactly where you're going to be and book your office. Um, and it more or less works. You know, human beings are human beings. Mm -hmm. So the UK, I only know, yeah, anecdotally, yeah, I'm kind of, at this particular time, happy to have been in Finland when this crisis hit. <laughs> you know, I think um, there's some wonderful things about the UK and being more relaxed about rules and, and a free spirit, but a pandemic is not an occasion where this is a great move, <laughs> I think, so... Yeah, I think there will be uh, some interesting PhDs written in the future, <laughs> analyzing all these approaches, who did what right. And I just hope that we learn from this, because this yeah. will not be the last one. I hope it's the last one in my lifetime, but it won't be the last one. Yeah. There was an interesting phenomenon that I, I sampled, let's say not even 300, like 20. I, I was mm. proud of my, I noticed at the end of the year, you know, oh, my citations are up this year. We must have done really good things. And I looked around and everybody's citations are up in my <laughs> area because everyone's been writing papers, you know, and this is the same. I think we just, okay, we cannot do this, that and the other. We can't travel and travel probably like most, like you know, it's like a, third, a quarter of a third of my year is traveling and that's gone. And so we had time to do other stuff like write, and, you know, so it's, it's not all down. But, so let's talk about Kanazawa. Um, what specific projects, topics are you working 
on with your colleagues there? So again, I think um, we come from the, the sort of direction of there's some really exciting experiments going on in, in Ganazar in, in the WPI. Um, and we want to try and understand what's going on in those, that, uh, let's say at least the molecular scale, because that's where we can, I think we can bring, bring knowledge. Um, I think that, so there, there are several like of these SPM experiments that are being done and, and people are getting exciting images, the dynamic images, high-speed AFM, penetrating cell membranes. But then it's really a challenge, like what are you seeing? I mean, how does what this picture actually tell you things about function, healthy function, diseased function? Um, so I guess we had two components uh, in, in, let's say our, our main research area is first of all, build models of these, for us, extremely complicated biological systems. So again, with a sort of more material solid state background you know, some some nice oxides and things like this, even if they had grain boundaries or defects are, are much simpler. <laughs> so developing these biological models and then developing ways that we can actually reproduce the the experiment itself. So sort of probing these models and, and getting signals and seeing if they match. Simple things like um, they're measuring the force of penetration through a cell membrane. Can we come up with a model that the question is not getting it exactly the same numbers, but if we change things in the way they change things, can we see the same thing? And then we can start to tell them maybe what they're seeing. Um, and this is this is quite exciting for us. It's, it's new ground in terms of the systems, um, but I think we bring that, that sort of rapid response to experimental ideas and willing to listen and also not to run away from difficult problems um and messy problems so i think that that's one thing we bring and then alongside this the last five years we've along as as many groups have uh we've moved into development of machine learning tools um and, and i think this is almost any responsible professional computational physicist should should at least investigate and, and we've found a lot of useful things there and now again you're dealing with images you're dealing with a lot of data and machine learning can really help. We can see patterns. We had a, a very nice project. Exactly, there were some measurements on, on adhesion and people were trying to see if there is a pattern in, in the adhesion measurements on healthy um, and cancerous cells. And uh, we could really bring this for rapid way through the machine learning to sort of pick up these patterns. And I think this is very nice. Um, and we're pushing that even harder because I think now the experiments reach a regime where our conventional modeling cannot. You know, if I talk about this atomistic modeling, quantum modeling, some of the systems are just too big, the data is too much. So we're trying ways that we can sort of sidestep this modeling approach through machine learning. Um, and, I, and I think we are starting to do that, both in the sort of more simple test systems and then moving up to really complicated biological systems in solution where the signal is very noisy and messy and dependent on preparation. But we can train the machine to some, somehow recognize some of these factors. And who are you working with uh, in Kanazawa? I mean, my main group that we work with and, and has had a long history with is Takeshi Fukuma. But yeah, I mean, he, he is the main contact point. And how did your relationship with Kanazawa start? Was it a conference, um, seminar? Did you meet somebody there? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a conference probably a you know sort of mid 2000s or something 
I mean, me, me and Takeshi used to go to the same meetings on, on Scanning Probe. Um, and I started to move in towards uh, looking at systems in solution. And he was he was one of the pioneer pioneers of doing this high resolution studies in solution. So of course we started interacting and we started developing methods and it just went on. I think we just continuously worked together from that point. Um, you know, I think every, every year there'll be one or two papers together, nice new yes. ideas. And, and so it just made it very natural when he came to ask would you be interested in, in being part of this and explain what it was? And I just thought this sounds really exciting mm -hmm. to continue the interaction on a, in a way on a more formal basis. Right. So I have a fair idea what you're doing now. I'm wondering what your plans are for the future. Any specific goals, projects? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the main goal I would like to have is, and I sort of touched it a little bit there, is a, a modeling methodology which doesn't really exist now that can just almost tell an experimentalist in situ what they are seeing so that um that almost they don't need us anymore this is always my pitch that we want to develop a method that they're scanning something and then they'll get real time or at least very quickly post measurement information you are seeing this you know we think you're looking at this type of system these are the molecules these are the atoms and this is what we'd like um but this needs a lot of components that we're working on now you know there is the the whole understanding how water behaves in this system and it's not just water it's it's got all sorts of salts in it and things like this it affects the measurement the nature of the probe affects it and then the modeling of the biological thing and so we're trying to develop these these components into what i hope would be something that experimenters could routinely use to at least get a first order understanding mm. and maybe then adjust the experiment real time. Parallel to this, we're getting interested in autonomous measurements. Mm. And this is then, so if we replace ourselves, now we're looking to replace the experimentalists as well. <laughs> um, of course, this is not, this is in a way, uh, you know, in the same way as like, yes you might allow a, an ai to drive your car but you're still going to be sitting in there and, and anyone sensible is still going to be awake and keeping an eye <laughs> but we could make some of the the difficult part or the, let's say the monotonous parts of um the measurement more routine like tip preparation and, and we we had some success in this i think it's quite promising well i guess uh, given the circumstances um autonomous experiments would be very welcome um, from both sides. We sort of say it lightly, but it's been very true. I guess it's the same there that lab time has become even more valuable. I mean, you only have so many instruments and now only a certain number of people are allowed in the room at one time. So th that's why the experimenters here were very interested. We said, OK, we can do this so that, you know, okay, I, we could come to cultural differences. Maybe the, the Japanese students think, fine, I'll work through Saturday night when no one else is there. But at least the Finnish students are not interested in this aspect and they'd love the AI to do it for them. So. Have you noticed any differences in approaches to research between your group here, for example, and uh, those you've met in Japan? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I won't talk about the hours. This is always a, you know, this is this is a very personal thing. But the the differences I've seen are maybe the the way we run the groups is quite mm. different in different countries. So Finland, we tend to have small groups or smaller groups and quite a flat structure. Mm. So that 
um, you know, a master's student or a PhD student, PhD student can even come up with and drive projects, um, which has benefits and, and disadvantages. It's just the way the culture comes around. Um, and I think Japan, I think is my impression is it's more hierarchical uh, structure, um, which actually helps if you have a big idea, mm. you know, that you can just drive the whole group in this direction. Um, you, you know, I think this is good. But then I can perhaps see that some of my students have more freedom than mm. the students would in an equivalent Japanese group. Again, I'm not saying one is better than the other, it's just a clear difference. That my students would be very confident to speak their minds, even you know, to to the you know big Japanese professor when we meet them, but that maybe the Japanese not so much. But of course, language issues are part of this. I think mm -hmm. uh, my group is not very Finnish and not very English, but of course, the English is the default language, mm -hmm. which is a contrast. And the UK, yeah, I don't. It's a long time since I was there, but again, I think it tends towards this smaller, smaller mm -hmm. groups. At least I was given a lot of independence. But I mean, the other thing I think is, is maybe in Finland, there is more of a culture of uh, it's a job. Mm. So we, we pay them, I think, fair wages. And, uh, you know, they, they get married, they have a mortgage, they have kids. It's, it's, and maybe in other countries, at least, UK was like this. It was more of a calling. You had a scholarship mm. and, and you're part of that, you know. I'm doing research for three years, doing my PhD, and there isn't time for much else. Uh, and I get the perception, I mean, Japan as well, I think the students are not paid so much, so that I think it's more parallel to the my UK experience. So I think these things impact the, the, the nature of the people and stuff like this. So what are you looking forward to when the pandemic eventually disappears and we can all move again? Coming to Kanazawa is <laughs> absolutely top of my list. <laughs> the combination of, I mean, really interesting research, you know, environment to discuss, and there should be a lot to discuss mm. because there is a barrier. Once everything's online and time differences, it's a barrier. Mm. Plus, I mean, I don't, I'm sure I don't need to tell you I'm a major fan of, of Jap Japan in general, the food, the, the environment, the people. So I do miss this aspect, certainly. That was uh, Professor Adam Foster, a principal investigator at the WPI Nano Life Science Institute at Kanazawa University. Details about the WPI Nano Life Science Institute at Kanazawa University can be found by visiting the Nano LSI website. The Nano LSI podcast is produced by the Public Affairs section of the WPI Nano Life Science Institute at Kanazawa University in Japan. We look forward to your company again for the next episode of the Nano LSI podcast. <laughs>